Hey, what's up? This is Pat Flynn, and you're listening to the Solopreneur Hour with Michael O'Neill. The Solopreneur Hour podcast. Job security for the unemployable. It's the Solopreneur Hour podcast with Michael O'Neill. Welcome to the Solopreneur Hour podcast, where every episode we co-host with the best and brightest solopreneurs in the land. And now your host, Michael O'Neill. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Solopreneur Hour. How are you? Uh, it's been a little minute. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're enjoying your late spring. I'm super stoked to chat with this gentleman on today's show, who at the tender age of 22 has already exited his first company, where he has made, uh, really to me, one of the coolest gadgets that I have not been able to use yet, which is uh, an Exo drone. So he made a drone company and then uh, exited it. His brand new company is called Vibride, where he is the very first person in the world to add a brake, like an actual, this is how I stop, brake to a longboard uh, hailing from Salt Lake City, uh, Charlie Cannon. What's up, Charlie? How are you, buddy? Hey, I'm good. Thanks. I'm stoked to be on here. Well, I appreciate the intro. Well, I'm stoked to have you, man. Um, you know, I, as a dude who has, you know, I feel like everybody has gadgets and things that they've um you know, toyed with inventing, but you've done it, man. You've already done it at 22, which is, which is bonkers. It's so young to not only like, you know, a lot of people are like, cool, I'll, I'll sew a t-shirt for my Etsy store. Uh, but right. you've, you've exited out of a, a drone company and drone is nothing to mess with, man. That's a, that's a serious bit of kit. And from our conversations, you're like a huge skier. You live in Salt Lake. So you've been pretty integrated into the, you know, I feel like d- drones and extreme sports are hand in hand. So I'm really curious about the origin story um, of I'm, I imagine that you were probably a guy that uh, had been filmed a bit. And then and then I'm curious about the transition between using them and then actually being like, hey, I'm going to start making one. Yeah, it's totally a good point. Um, I mean, it's it's funny if you look back, I have countless drone shots of me riding a longboard from before I started either of the companies. So I was totally using them a lot. Um, I used our biggest competitor all the time. That's how I knew where their weak points were because I I knew what, as a consumer, I was getting a little bit shorted on. Um, But I think you grew up a great point. You're like, everyone just tries to put things on a t-shirt. And I would go venture to say, yes, people customize clothing because it's a really easy object to customize but what people don't customize are random objects and that's everything else you buy so you could go out and customize a drone you could customize a tent you could customize a hammock a hammock company is what i tried right before drones briefly Hmm. you could customize chairs you know the list goes on and on we just don't really think about it because when we typically think about making a product we it's a design on a piece of clothing, not a design on all these other things we use. Um, and I, I think that epiphany of like, wow, everything I own is coming from the same place. And I just kind of need to break my break into that niche. Uh, really got the ball rolling on what could be possible on the internet. Had you, had you 
messed around with customizing stuff that you'd already owned? Like when you were a kid, were you taking stuff apart? Um, I wasn't the the biggest like take apart fidget deer person. Yeah. Um, but I was a very interested kid, you could say, yeah. and used a lot of different different objects in different scenarios in life. Just always trying new stuff. Can you think of any that were were you know more important to you than another? It might not relate to business, but I loved games. I loved moving. I loved fun objects. And I mean, that's half of drones, right? Yes. Yeah. Half the people aren't buying it for the camera. They're buying it to zoom it around their backyard and uh, bug their neighbors with it. Right. It's so, a remote control plane or whatever. Right. Exactly. It's it's totally a remote control vehicle with a camera. Um, it's not just a camera on a remote control, if you know what I mean. I feel like it wasn't even a camera at the beginning. Like, I, I feel like some of the first drones I saw were just drones that you could just fart around on. And then someone decided, yeah. hey, let's do that. And I want to say that like, they stuck like a GoPro on it or something, but you had no way to see what it was seeing. Like, it's been really interesting over the last 10 years or so to watch the evolution of what a drone does. And then it's crazy now to think about, like, if you ever watch a documentary on how they made, you know, pick any movie from, you know, uh, the history of movies until probably 2010 or so. And you realize that they had to have a full-size helicopter for all of those shots. Like, they are literally yeah. having a uh, hundreds or millions of dollars of equipment to get some of these shots. And you can literally now go get a drone for six, seven hundred bucks, five hundred bucks, ninety nine bucks for an exo drone and get literally better quality than ninety five percent of movies that have ever used helicopters. It's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. It's you're talking about skiing. There's old ski clips and it shows the helicopter flying next to the jump with the skier like right. 30 Warren 40 Miller feet away. Yeah. Warren yeah. Miller stuff. Yeah, exactly. And now I just take out my, my drone that weighs the same as my cell phone and throw it up. It's <laughs> unreal, dude. It's, I mean, really in some of the other technology where it can follow you. I don't know if I, I, I have to say that you guys were nice enough to send me this unbelievably cool drone that I realized when I got it, that I wasn't able to fly almost anywhere near me because I live right next to an airport. So I've got to go find a place where I can actually use this thing and check it out. But like, my world in, in a lot of ways is all about vintage uh, cars, uh, you know, vintage Porsches. And we get on like these killer twisty windy roads. And I'm like, oh man, I can't wait to get some of these killer shots for, for the car. It's going to be, it's going to be awesome. I can't wait to be able to go do that. Yeah. That, that'll be really good. That'll be beautiful. California shots of the Porsche. Right. That'll be all time. Yeah. All right. So you are a dude that you're on the slopes all the time. I imagine skiing and skiing and longboarding is like your primary fun things you do. So yeah. drones are a huge part of that world. At what point do you say, I want to make a better mousetrap? Mousetrap or the drones. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> yeah. So it was actually during quarantine. So I was 19 at the time. I was just finishing up freshman year of college and I got sent home. And the drone story is interesting because it didn't start with drones. It started with skateboards. 
me and my buddy in college, we invented a longboard break together because Salt Lake City is one huge downhill and we would get wrecked on our board. Um, so we made this break and it was great. And freshman year of college, we're ready to launch it, but I'm the internet kid. I'm the business one. So I got to go learn how to sell these things. I know nothing about e-commerce, but I know that it's possible to sell products on the internet through digital ads. So in my quest of tutorials on YouTube and all of that, I discovered e-commerce and drop shipping and this whole, I never was a drop, drop shipping products, but this whole world of private labeling and making businesses pretty much from your bedroom. Um, right. And when I discovered that it kind of dawned on me of, Hey, maybe the best way to learn how to sell a product online is to sell a few products online. Sure. Because if I can start these businesses with pretty much zero overhead, get some sales, like that would be awesome. I can really follow my face and start to learn how to do this. Um, so I launched a, a store, I made compilations on YouTube, got like a million views in 30 days but my store didn't sell anything cause it wasn't good enough. Mm. Great. Awesome. Step one. Um, then I started another store. It didn't work. Then I started a hammock company and I really went super in on the branding and the, and the visuals and everything. And I got my first couple sales, but not profitable. Um, and honestly I was extremely discouraged at this point. I saw these people on the internet making money with these like stupid products. And I was out here making real brands with cool products and, and people didn't want them. Um, and then one day I stumbled across that I could manufacture drones with 4k cameras for like 200 bucks. Wait, hold on. Let me, let me pause you for one second. Going back to the hammock. Now, was that somebody else's hammock that you were white labeling or like, is it something you get on Alibaba or something? And then you just say, okay, well, I'm going to make a cool company around it. Yeah, totally. So we think about t-shirts, every t-shirt's the same. We think about these portable outdoor hammocks, they're all the same. What's the difference? How they look mm. and the price that you're buying it at. Those are really the two, two main things and how it performs, of course. Um, so yeah, just grab these hammocks, make them, make them look fun, make them look desirable and then sell them less than the competition. So you um, did that by like um, I mean, obviously changing the brand, but is the hammock itself just the same hammock as you could get somewhere else? Cause they make them in the same factory. Yeah. Yeah. And what's crazy is it's everything we own too. Right. Aside from these few companies like Apple, GoPro, heck now Vibride that come out and, and engineer their own products. Yeah. You know, the toilet paper, the paper towels, the knives, the forks, the every the chairs, everything we own is all the same. Right. Um, and some big companies own all these little brand names that do this. But I think in the age of the internet and us being able to be connected to these suppliers, it's not these massive companies holding the contacts that I can't then go break into the hammock industry. I can now go to the same hammock factory as all these big companies and start to throw little jabs at them with my own way, you know, mm. give better service, be a better designs, give better, this or that, but the hammocks was small. That was really like a, not a long project for me. Um, the drones are really what I put everything I had into and said like, Hey, all right, like this is it. I'm going to make a company. I'm going to make a real, real company here. Like I'm going to do 
everything I've learned from acquiring customers online and profitably selling products. Sure. But this time I'm going to make a real business too. Mm. I'm going to make something that I could pitch to an investor and say, here's my value add more than just my value add is I'm quick on the internet and I can generate sales. Right. So it really came down to you taking these products, which everybody has access to really, um, and building a really cool brand around it. And then just realizing, I, I think half of the battle dude is just realizing that that's even a thing. And I, it, it sounds like the thing that you I'd say more than half, well, I was going to say, yeah, it sounds like the thing that you figured out is that it's not only a thing, it's like the thing, it's the normal thing. This is most of the stuff that we consume is all coming from the same factory. The, that's the exactly, exactly. There's supply, like it's a classic supply chain, you know? You have the engineers in China and in these other states and in America sending items to China. Then you have the people that produce it. Then you have the people that ship it. Then it comes to America. You have the people that store it and sell it. And it's an age old supply chain. It's just different now. Like the retailers have always been the people that take the massive cut. Right. You know, it used to be brand names sells to Walgreens. Walgreens takes the cut. Now Walgreens is the one making the brand names. You know what I mean? I'm sure they've Walgreens in particular has been doing it for a while, but as a metaphor, now I can come in and be the retailer and the brand of these products really chop out a lot of the costs by just vertically integrating a lot of it and then give it to a customer in a way that they really like and at a price that they like. Yeah, that's crazy. It just, I mean, especially now, this has got to be a really interesting era for us as well, because when you started this, which was the pandemic, we didn't have access to what we do now, which is artificial intelligence. So now you could yeah. have literally like AI branding and artwork along with AI mm -hmm. copy and then a white labeled product for, you know, where you, you lifted about, you know, 10 minutes of, of effort. And now you've got this like full brand that you can, you know, with all the e-commerce on the back end, it's crazy the opportunity right. that you can have. And you think about my kids, I was just in California shooting these longboards. They're going to say, Hey, I make me a video of this longboard. Here's the 3d render in this scenario. Like they don't even have to film videos. They'll have their Instagrams made for them, their products made for them, their voiceovers. Uh, that's something I'm really trying to push with this new company and something that I need to learn. You know, I, I, I'm not ahead on AI. Like, I'm right. on the same playing field as everyone else. And we got to step up and, and everything we do, how could artificial intelligence do this better or automate this more for us? Um, and things like social media, how can we plug a video editor into our footage and then have it make us edits and then show them the results and give the AI the results so that it better edits videos for us right. and can just, automate our social media out of a footage bank. Um, what are, how could we do that? How can we make customer service? What used to be this thing I had 12 employees doing full time to how can we get that to two or three and give better service than before? So AI is definitely crazy, but you know, at the same time, it's always, it gets easier to make the site, but if it's easier, there's going to be more people doing it and you're just going to have to have something that's better now. Um, it's never, it might get easier to do small, some specific tasks, but I think the grand scheme of things is 
going to be just as still just as many people competing for just the same size of cake. So, um, I agree. Yeah, I, I think that the, the important part and the reason why these companies have worked for you, the drone company, the longboard company is because you had massive experience with drones and skiing. Mm -hmm. You have massive yeah. experience with longboards. Like you really know what somebody needs. It's funny as we're chatting right now, 100%. I'm just I'm poking around on Alibaba looking for um, just, I was like, oh, I wonder what pickleball stuff. And dude, you can get full Torre T700 carbon fiber paddles, which is the thing yeah. right now in pickleball, you know, and they sell them for 239. They're, they're 1750 each on here. Right. You know, which makes right. me think, all right, that's just a brand away from being uh -huh. a company, you know? And that's the hard part. Is that's the hard the part. Brand. So What's now we got to go hit up a pickleball pro and say, Hey, I want your endorsement to say that this thing works. Pickleball pro is like, yeah, hundred percent. Sure. Give me 75 grand. Right. And you're like, wow. Okay. I don't think I'm going to get 75, you know? Yeah. Uh, but the concept is there. It's I'm glad you're seeing it in something that relates to yourself. Well, that's the whole point, right? I think it always has to relate. You, you can't answer questions in an industry that you know nothing about. You have to be able to 100%. have some expertise in the industry. Like if somebody, let's say I did started O'Neill's pickleball, you know, uh, company and someone's like, dude, have you hit with one of these O'Neill's yet? And then someone goes, yeah, well, what about blah, blah, blah. I better know the answer to blah, blah, blah. Otherwise uh -huh. it's going to sound like I'm, I'm some stooge. Like it, it's not going to do anything. Right. A hundred percent. I agree with that. Like being able to speak to your audience like me to right off the bat, go on the drone website and say, there was a problem with the drone industry. There were either cheap toys or there were thousand dollar drones. There right. was no in between. We wanted to make a high quality 4k drone for a reasonable price point. Right. People are like, Oh sweet. Hell yeah. And then I knew drones were hard. So it's like drones are hard period. We make it easy. Mm. And it's like, all right, someone's coming into this. What are the questions that they're wondering? And what is the resistance for them to buy? here's this company speaking to exactly what they're looking for. You know, who cares if in the early days where you could get, where we were just retailers, where you could get the same model from someone else. Yeah. People knew that. And who cares? Because we're giving you the product you want at an awesome price. And we're answering the questions that you want to hear. You know, that the, the plate, the areas of resistance that are keeping you from making a purchase are going to be resolved and you're going to get the experience you want. And that comes through. Yeah. Expertise of the area. Um, how much, so like help me with how this thing, uh, the flow of this goes, you say, you know, I want to make a better drone. So, okay. You do you immediately go and you try to see which ones are out there that are available and then you get them yes. and, and start mucking around with them and go, okay, I want to improve on X, Y, Z. Uh huh. Exactly. Is that how it goes? So pretty much tried every single non-DJI drone out there, found two of the best ones, ran with them, started like private labeled them, redid all the user manuals, uh, you know, boxes, shipping, all that stuff. Make right. it an American friendly product. Um, and then once we have sales, then that's when we can go back to the manufacturer and say, Hey, this drone's awesome, but it's been nine months. It's been six months. Like, how, we need to start to improve this. We just ordered 4,000 of these things. Like how about we add obstacle avoidance? 
how about we take it from a two axis gimbal to a three axis gimbal? Um, and we start, and then more important than that almost is fixing the bucks. So every issue we have taking that drone, putting it aside, diagnosing it, knowing exactly what happens, send it to the engineers, get it fixed and make sure that our drones aren't, aren't going to have as many of those in the past or in the future. I mean, all right. So um, hold on a second. Let me, let me, let me interrupt right there because you've now, you've started with this product that already existed, right? Yes. You started, you, you have some sort of base and you're like, all right, these are the improvements I want to make on the, on the soft side, which is the branding side, the, the copy, the stuff you can get on the website, the resources for the customers, easy. But you just mentioned there's engineers involved. So that's the part I think that is probably the most interesting to me, which is what engineers, where do they come from? Right. And so engineers <laughs> are the people working in these factories, giving them awesome drones for people like me to come by. So they, they need their other half. How do you connect uh, with them? Need, I connected originally. I met somebody through Alibaba who just knows the whole scene. Um, and just this agent that has just been so awesome. Um, still, we want to work with them in the future. It's hard to find someone to trust that much in China, but uh, they just knew every factory. They'd before things would new tech would come out, they'd send it to us. Um, and yeah, does that answer? So you you would uh, give me the actual nuts and bolts of how were you just like these are the kinds of things I would like, and then you they would say okay, we'll figure out how to make that. Like what what's the transactionally? How does that work? Like these guys are engineers right. and so, they're, they're in China. Yes. So I think okay. the first part of it is earning the trust okay, and earning the credibility of, Hey, we've ordered all this stuff now. Like, you know, we've been working together a, a little while, you know, that we have massive ambitions, you know, that we want to take on DJI and you know that we're not going to take on DJI by not progressing our technology. Right. Um, you know, for us to sell a hundred thousand bucks, 500,000 bucks worth of drones, that's one thing to sell 15 million bucks worth of drones. That's another thing. And mm. we have to be better to be there. And I think they understood and bought into that vision. Um, Ella was our agent who we talked to every day. Um, and we would bring her improvements. And of course, a lot of people there don't speak English. Right. Um, so she would, we would clearly articulate to her all of our desires. She'd go out and push for us and make those things happen, report to us on the thing that couldn't make happen. And mm. it's requests, yeah. But when you're dealing with China, it's also demands. It's also, you know, it's business. It's us saying, hey, you know, we're not going to order another million dollars worth of your drone unless you do this. And, you know, it's a change that costs them 20 grand to make. They put two and two together and go make it for us. Right. Um, and then do you worry that, you know, you're making all these cool innovations and then, you know, all of a sudden Alibaba is just going to show up with your drone that has all the same changes on it? Yeah. And they did. And they did. And that happened. Um, luckily, we got big enough, though, that we go to this company called Hubson, who is making the best drones in the world. Actually, they came to us, the best drones in the world besides DJI. Yeah. But they had no idea how to sell them. And their service was terrible. Their marketing was terrible. They were, their English and the app was not that good. Um, pretty much everything that we did amazingly, mm. they did terribly. And everything that they did terribly, we did amazingly. 
So it was like, mm-hmm. hey, if we put your technology with us, that's like putting a Boeing and a Delta together. Right. Um, and that it was awesome. Like we launched and that product was, was amazing. You know, we really caught the eye of DJI. Mm. Um, they, they launched things in return and they copied a lot of things we did on our website. Um, it was honestly pretty flattering, but we made a real competition for them because the tech was there to compete with them in the past, but it was never brought forth in this beautiful way that GoPro or Red Bull brings forth technology. Um, or drinks, we were able to do that. So now DJ not only has competition on the tech, but now that tech looks exciting and looks intriguing and looks like it's it's worth purchasing rather than spending 200 more for the DJI. It's like, wow, this really is the same, isn't it? Right. Um, and right when that happened and right after that launch, that's when cash flow is too much and we actually ended up selling. So I only got to see a couple months of that in in motion, but it was a beautiful thing. And, uh, if I could show that, that drone to myself when I was starting the company and say, Hey, look where your drones are going to be in two years. I would have just, I would have freaked out. It's (laughs) like that thing is, is 500 bucks. It's a tiny little drone. It can, it's movie quality. It's, it was awesome. Um, reminiscing now. (laughs) It is so good, dude. Like, I remember when I first got it and, uh, you know, the, the unboxing experience is really good. You know, the mm, box is cool. Like and then the bag it comes in is really cool. And I, I have, you have to understand, dude, literally zero compared to your 100% drone experience. I have 0% drone experience. Like mm. the only experience I've ever had is my old roommate is actually literally a helicopter pilot. And, uh, he got super into drones and, you know, um, that's that's all. I've never I've never even flown one. So I see this thing and I go, man, what a cool device this is. Like it feels really good. It feels really solid. And I go, this doesn't feel like something that's super cheap. It feels like a really good piece of kit. So and it mm-hmm. looks good. You know, that's all you. Who is part of your you, you keep saying we. So I'm curious about like how, when you have this idea and you go, oh, this could be a thing. Who do you bring on? Like, what's what's your team like on your side? Right. So it's important to know it started just hustle. Like, I brought it to, like, I think 400K revenue just completely alone, doing customer service, getting phone calls, 6 in the morning to 12 at night. I right. still get about 10 a day. Um, doing, yeah, fulfillment, accounting, quote, unquote. Everything from a business was made. And the first person I brought on was a support employee. I, I didn't know what to do. I tried hiring my friends because like, who am I going to hire? How do I hire someone? <laughs> like what, what does that look like? And then eventually I went on Upwork and I found a support employee. I did my first job posting. It was awesome. He stuck with us to the end. Um, and then I was giving help to someone in a Facebook group of e-commerce. Uh, and lo and behold, we ended up helping each other for like six months And we grew the exact same way. Like we started when I didn't have any sales, he didn't have any sales and brought it six months. I had a million, six months later, I had a million in sales and he was there through all of that. And he grew with me. So he had the exact same skill sets and looked at business the same way as me. So all of a sudden this guy I met in a Facebook group is now the only person that knows business like me. I ended up bringing him on. 
uh, as my business partner, giving him some equity. And two years after that, now he's the CEO of Vibride, um, gave him that title over me. Mm. But he has been a massive proponent. His name's Alex Beveridge. He lives in Australia. Um, I worked with him for two and a half years, and I only met him once. Like, I hadn't met, known him for two two plus years. We had only known each other on the internet. We were business partners. He was CEO of EXO for a little. Um, yeah, that was, that was, um, but he is huge. And then we just kept hiring, you know, as we need people. Uh, my, my friend, I invented the longboard break with, we brought him on cause he's just a smart guy. Who's good at logistics. Uh, I hired my best friend's brother who was really good at a camera. And then I went on Upwork again, found like six or eight more support employees. Um, I brought in my old camp counselor who was my role model for a really long time. And he ended up shutting down his business and coming. And that was just amazing. He brought his business partner. All of a sudden we had a team of 20 people, you know? Wow. Uh, and that happened over about two years. Uh, it's really interesting to me how much e-commerce changes. It goes from me having these skills in video, in storytelling, in business, in math that make me a lot of hustle of business to 400, 500K. Right. And then all of a sudden it goes really quickly from that to becoming a manager and a leader and an employer and dealing with 20 people and giving people tasks every day. It completely changes. Right. Um, the types of skills that you need to do things. Like I just had to wear so many different hats uh, to get from zero to a hundred K then a hundred K to a million then a million to 5 million and 5 million to 15 million. Like they were just completely different levels of the game. Um, and luckily I had the skills to get through all of them. And now I'm looking into the future. What skills do I need to be, to make a $10 billion company? Mm. What, what leader do I have to be? What are those executives at the top doing every day? When you're, you know, you're, you're tired, you've been on the slopes all day and you go, man, I want to do this. I think I want to do this drone company. You probably spend a zillion hours on like Alibaba looking at every single thing. Are you taking yeah. notes? Are you like throwing stuff into some kind of notes just to have some organization of what's in your brain? It's a good question. No, I have a lot of different notes on my phone. Um, I had one of business ideas, business improvements, you know, life quotes. I think really good ideas have to be written down. Mm. Um, but to some extent, the other half of it's just in my brain. Yeah, I'm just learning, you know. It's not like I'm watching tutorials on how to do Google Ads and I'm taking notes and making documents. Like, I'm just going and launching Google Ads. Right. Um, and if you need something, you, you go watch a video on it. That's what I do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. What, so at that moment, when you decide, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start messing with drones, do you... Uh, where do you get the capital to, to get your first batch or do you sort Crazy of story or do you, um, do you white label everything and, you know, drop ship it? What's the, how does it start? Yeah. So I guess this story is going to come out at some point in my life, but I got 15 grand in inheritance from my grandpa. Um, you said 15 so grand. I, yeah. So okay. I guess I didn't technically start with zero, but that 15,000 is 
um, what I used to order the first batch of drones. Um, and so the minimum order for custom drones is a thousand drones are $130 each. So that's 130 K if you want to customize drones. Right. So what do I do is I sell eight drones unbranded. Like I just put stickers on the box. Just, I got the sales, you know, I think two or three of them returned it. I just had to eat that, whatever. Then I hit up this company, right? I'm going all through Alibaba, every broker. And I say, Hey, I want this drone, but like without a logo, like who can get me this drone? Just like completely blank. And I got somebody to not customize it, but not have a logo on it. And I got them to do a hundred. Um, and that I could actually afford. Um, so I got that hundred, what's it like 11 grand got that, sold them and it worked. And it's like, okay, boom, time to go ham. Now we can customize this, that. <laughs> Did you throw that stickers on those? Uh, no, it was just, just left them blank. Like on the box and then the user manual and all that. Yes. But and the, the drone itself was just a black drone. And then you sell them, you, you buy them for one thirty or whatever. And then you sell them for what? I think I was selling them for like two ten at that point. Okay. Um, which was pretty low. <laughs> It's yeah. hard to hide to operate under. Um, but it made sense at the time. I was the only person you made your money so back then, basically. Right. And it was profitable and it was like, okay, this could go ham, you know, in that hundred day in that hundred unit, I had a day that was like 10th day selling. It was six and a half thousand in sales, three grand in profit, mm. like 2.6 in profit. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Like, I was this college kid, you know, right. I was broke. I mean, broke. <laughs> How were you advertising? 15 K, um, Google and Facebook. Like you were doing ads. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they were very profitable. Like people wanted this. Um, so then I hit up that Ella person and I got her to do 500 customized, but that 500, she convinced a factory to make 500 and then she fronted half of it. So I only had to pay for 250. She had no idea who I was, had never met me and pretty much spotted me for about 50 K. Wow. Um, <laughs> which er, I think, well, it was more like 25, um, and got those drones shipped and lo and behold, trusting me, it was a great decision for her because we became her biggest client a year and a half. And then I think we ordered like 6 million in drones in a year. Wow. Um, but she was able to front that. I get these 250 customized, fly off the shelves. Um, and after that, it was, I started taking loans from my friends. So I'd say, Hey friends, you give me 10 grand. I'll give you 11 grand a month later. Um, sure. And people did it. And it was like a, it was my first step at loans. I had no credit cards, no credit score. My parents wouldn't give me money. Uh, my family, I didn't, I wasn't going to ask them. Um, so it was money was hard and it was hard until the day we sold it. You know, eventually we can start to get loans and we get some sort of cash flow. And, but it was a disaster. You know, we were 2 million in debt and granted we had the equity, but in, in drones, but we had millions in debt to cover our cash flow. Because if you want to sell a million dollars of drones in a month, even if there's the demand for it, you have to buy almost $4 million worth of drones because of a four month lead time. Right. You have to buy them four months in advance. So where does that money come from? And we took shark loans. We took any money we could to, to get that. And then at some point somebody says, 
you guys are crushing this and we want to buy it from you. Right. Is that how it went? So it's at, at some point about a year and a half in, we started talking to an investor. It was looking around, like we were going to get like $2 million for like, I think like 30%. And I ended up turning it down because I didn't think I thought it was worth more than that. Yeah. Um, and turns out we really needed the money because we were launching, we had like 50 different SKUs, all really expensive and we couldn't afford the cash flow. Mm. Um, and I think it really bottled up and we started getting mad at each other. We started working too hard. Uh, and in 2022 from about January where we spoke to that investor to about June, it was the worst six months of my whole life. Mm. Um, like, you know, six days a week, because if I did seven, I literally was a mushroom, like six days a week, 16 hours a day, like every waking second, so much stress. And after all that, we had so many expenses now and so much interest on loans that we were breaking even. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is so much work. And it's not what we wanted it to be. We actually wanted to sell the company at the end of the year before yeah. so at the beginning of 2022. We wanted to sell it. We ended up keeping going because of this big deal with this Hubson company that had awesome drones. Um, and we did it for six months and eventually instead of selling at the end of the year, one day, Alex, the business partner from Australia goes, Hey, what if we sold it right now? And this was in June, that was June 20th. And in June 26th and exactly 31 days later, we signed the final closing paper with open store. Wow. Um, so from the day that we decided, Hey, you know what? Let's sell this now. We closed the deal 30 days later and that mm. was, you know, a dream come true. Were you happy with how it, uh, how it turned out? Like, did you get what you wanted out of it? Yeah. You know, I, I think, we were at a point where actually it could be worth $10 million or if we screwed things up, it could be worth less than a million in a year from then. Right. And I knew what it took to get it to both ends. And I think it was totally the right decision. You know, I find it almost funny that I'll always be telling the story. We decided to sell it and I took the first offer I got and I never looked back and I don't regret a thing. You know, OpenStore paid 2.9 million for it. That was their offer. They said that they would pay it in two weeks and transition me in two months rather than other firms. Maybe I get four and a half million, but I have to work for the next two years. It's going to take six months to close the deal. Maybe something bad happens in the six months. They drop the deal and then no one wants to buy it. Right. Um, so it's like, you just yeah, said, cool, oh, hold out your hand. And that was it. You shook hands, you're out. Right. Exactly. I had this longboard company. So it's like, I don't need this money to live the rest of my life, you know? Like, right. Um, so, so tell me about I'm the longboard, stoked. the longboard company, the, the break that you've got on this longboard. Uh, my old roommate used to like do downhill longboards. Maybe that's oh, the that's same, awesome. maybe that's the same thing, but um, yeah, it, you know, it versus having just like a cruiser. He lived in San Diego. He was like, you know, a downhill dude. But oh, like, sounds like an awesome guy. <laughs> but um, uh, it sounds to me like 
a, a break. This brings me back to my old like BMX days in the eighties where, you know, guys were inventing stuff all the time in people's garages. It was like, Oh, let's try this thing. And they would do it. And then some company would go, that looks really cool. We'll pay to have it machined. And then all of a sudden you've got a new product on the market. So this yeah. feels a little bit like that to me. Maybe it's not, but take me through the evolution of this, this, uh, innovation in skateboarding, which is like having an actual break on the skateboard. Yeah. So this wasn't something you could get on Alibaba. Um, there was very, very, very few longboard breaks out there, especially ones that worked. There's one that you drill a hole through your board and you step on a pin and it drags on the ground. So we took that idea in college and made it way better. Um, and made this cool break that drags on the ground and it slows you down and it's cool. Um, (laughs) it was a decent product. Um, there was one company though called breakboard. They had been in business since 1999. They it's this one guy, Benjamin Newman, and he had a bang and break. He had been working on this mechanical disc break for like literally 10 years, but had lost $800,000 on it. Wow. Um, Australian because he's an engineer, not a businessman. And he had this awesome product that generated 200,000 in sales off of 1500 marketing spent, which is over a hundred ROAS. Yeah. Um, and it was, but his company was dead. He hadn't made a break in two years. He was completely out of there. And I called him up and because I had seen his old Kickstarter and I called him up and we were like, Hey, I want to buy your company. Like, Mm. I think it's awesome. I want to buy this. And a week and a half later, we ended up closing for $332,000 to buy his two patents and all his design files. And then there was one other company that had made a break. It was a string that you pull up and a beginner break. I called him up and he was down bad, um, totally broke, needed the money. I ended up pulling his company off of him for like 25 grand. Um, and I paid off some of his debts. So maybe like 50,000. So we paid around 450k after lawyers yeah. got every break ever made. We then met with the engineer. We met the engineer from this project and had him from the string project work on the other break. And together we invented a third break and that's the one we have now. Um, so we full on invented this one, all the tooling, all the prototyping. Um, and we pretty much combined the two longboard acquisitions, the one that we invented in college and the one we invented now, we pretty much have every possible break you could make on a board um, without using electricity. So that's really cool that once longboard breaks take off, that once we blow up this market and every board starts having a break, it's going to be really, really hard for any other company to come in because we own all the good patents and right. all the good designs. Um, That's a great idea. You, you basically, uh, you snagged it from the ground up. Yeah. And like cool. I say, they had since before I was born to make these breaks. So I don't feel bad at all about right. stealing their industry from them. And you know it. It's your industry. Right. Yeah. I, I know what the issues are. I know why we need a break. It's not so that beginners can learn how to ride. It's so that we can bomb sicker hills. It's that we can bomb steeper hills than we ever could before more narrow hills than we ever could before. We don't burn through our shoes. Right. Um, and that messaging wouldn't be what 
the average non-skater would say if they had to sell a longboard break. So that whole thing you were saying earlier about knowing your industry with the paddle balls, 100% true. Like, so true. You need it. In my experience. Yeah, you need it. So this whole experience for you then was a lot of like... You have the idea, then what? You'd probably get, what, 3D prints made until you're like, oh, this this looks like it's going to fit okay, then let's make it out of metal? Is that Was that the process? Um, we had to CNC it out of metal from the start. Right away, um, okay. Each prototype is like $1,000. Yeah. Um, but luckily, we have amazing, we have two amazing engineers, one of which is my college roommate, and they nailed it on like the sixth try, so. Oh, that's um, cool. We're going to production now, and should be launched in a few months. Oh, you're still, you're still in the, the, you know, the production phase. You're, you've just gotten it together. Wow. Yeah. It's, we've been working on the production phase for three years now. Wow. Um, I don't think people have any idea like how complicated it is to do stuff like this. And once you get the design right, it doesn't mean they're going to make it right. Like we send them every, all 38 pieces and they make one of them to an incorrect tolerance, even if it looks the exact same and the whole thing doesn't work. Right. And you have to wait another month to get another prototype. Um, so it's not even just making something that works. Now you have to find a factory that will just make it super flush and perfect. Right. Yeah, man, that's a whole thing. My, my buddy made a, uh, a really cool tripod, camera tripod, and just watching him having to go through that process, same exact thing. Like, as soon as you make a change, especially when it's going overseas, it's like, man, it could take six, eight. And then, you know, COVID happened. So it was months. It wasn't weeks. It was months between iterations, which is which yeah. is crazy. Yeah, that part's, it's really yeah. hard, but, you know, it's hard for everyone. So, yeah. How, how were you affected by, uh, by COVID? I was affected in a lot of people had a lot of COVID money and a lot of extra time on their hands and they bought drones on the internet. Oh, um, so in a great way. Yeah. To be honest, nice. I think that COVID was, was awesome for me. How funny. Right. And I had the time to, to do this. You know, I went from being a full-time worker and I was working a minimum wage job and going to college classes. And now I just get to be at home for all my time. And I have the, time to to dive into e-commerce and understand these things yeah what are you seeing on the horizon for you like what are you interested in from a a sales and business standpoint that what's got your attention right now to be honest i don't really need anything more in my personal life like at all you know like i I have what feels like all the money in the whole world so all i want to do is help the world um you know of course I want to have a piggy bank of like a hundred, 200 plus mail that I can pull from to fund ideas in the future. But what I really want to do is help the environment. Mm. Um, I want to help the planet. I want to long-term, I think it would be really, really, really a great goal to try to shift business into donating parts of what they make. Like it's not a standard right now for companies to donate any money or be involved in needle moving projects that, that really help the world in some way. And I, I, I think that's not where the world's going. I think that kids are growing up nowadays. We look at brands and say, 
who is the owners? Who, what are they doing for the world? Is this a Procter and Gamble that's just going to go pollute the world? Or is this some young, awesome startup that's making sustainable toothpaste and that type of, or, or these products are helping fight world hunger. Um, and I'd love to make a brand, like I was saying, that sells that every, all these products are the exact freaking same, right? Like all these glasses, all these speakers, all, everything we own are the same thing from China. Why can't I make a company that sells all of these essentials, the same price, the same service that you'd get from Amazon, except we donate half the profits instead right. of we take 50 billion a year, all half of the profits that the user purchases, they get to choose where it's donated to. Mm. Hey, you know, this is going to have a gross margin of $4. You get to choose where the two bucks goes to. Do you want to plant trees here? You want to donate some meals here? And then we take the other two bucks and, and use it to fund growth to make an even bigger company. Um, so long-term, I'm not sure if that makes any sense, but yeah. that's what I'd really love to do after the skateboards. And I'd love to start with the boards. We're going to donate a third of the profits from that and just start dangling our feet in the water love that. Um, in this new domain. Yeah. I do think also that that, that mindset uh, will attract more people in the future. Like people will definitely make buying decisions based on the intention of the companies behind them. If you look at like Patagonia and REI and things like that, yeah, you know, people are supporting companies that are actively doing things like that. So I think you're on the right track. Great example, Patagonia. But I will say I'm not doing it to get customers per se. Like I'm doing it because I want to help the world. No, so, no, that, but you know, then my point totally is though, is selfish. No, I know, but people are making buying decisions. It's I mean, to be fair, it's less people. Those it's less people buying are making those buying decisions based on that. But the, the, the notion is so good that there are people that do make purchasing decisions that way. And I, um, my point was, I think there's going to be more in the future. I think more of us yeah. are going to start making purchasing decisions based on companies that we align with fundamentally, you know? Mm, I think that's a great point. And I think we already do to some extent. I love GoPro because they're cool. They're, out there, they're adventurous, extreme. I'm already aligning with that. And I choose to go with a GoPro over another action camera because I align with who they are. And I think as humans, we're becoming really gracious to each other. We're becoming really loving and a global community. Um, so yeah, who knows if we're a big, helpful, loving brand, maybe we'll get this new Gen Z and below to, to really buy into <laughs> us for their lifetimes. You've got a really focused, like hardcore entrepreneurial spirit. That sounds like it's been there for a while. Can you identify where it came from? Where did it come from? Oh man. Cause well, not everybody thinks, I mean, look, I've done 870 plus episodes of this show. So I've talked to a lot of people that have had stories of, of, you know, entrepreneurship. So I, I'm just you're, you're, you're an outlier in, in so many ways in sort of normal society, maybe not as much on this show. Cause it's most of the people we focus on, but yeah. But, um, is there an origin story? Well, when I was 10, my parents were like, what are you going to do when you're older? And I'd be like, I'm going to own a business. And they'd be like, really? Oh, yeah. What business are you going to own? And I'd be like, uh, at 10, uh, Jeez. I mean, 10, 12. I've always said though that I was going to own my own business, not work for anyone. Um, 
Unemployable. That's definitely been a dream of mine since I was, yeah, unemployable. Yeah, that's me, I saw baby. that quote and I was, didn't even need to see the definition. <laughs> You're like, I got it. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, I hate working for people. Um, it's just, I really don't like when I have to work from one point of time and do another, no matter how good the job is. If I look at the clock and I have to sit there for seven more hours, like I am just, there's nowhere else I want to be less than yeah, that place. It's brutal. Um, but you didn't like read a book but, or have a, a relative or somebody that was in, inspirational in that way. No, no. Uh, my dad's a medical researcher. My mom was a psychologist and my brother codes and my sister is a math professor. So it's, it's not in my genes. You could say it's not the DNA, I've but always, geez. I've always loved doing wacky stuff. You know, right before this, I, I made a movie for two years. Um, and that was took everything I had for two years straight. Uh, and before that I was make, I was selling t-shirts for our school's fan section. And, you know, I've always been, I've always been scheming. I've always been working on projects that are independently owned, you could say, uh, by myself. Were you a young, like, did you, you grew up outside of Boston, but were you a young athlete of some sort? Did you skate or did you ski or snowboard or anything like that? Like when you were a kid? Yeah. Uh, my dream was to be a professional skier when okay. I was a kid. Um, here we are in Utah. We actually, I do get to ride with, with all the people I used to look up to, but I'm definitely not a professional skier. Um, why do you ask? Because there's a, um, there's a through line in, like I was a BMX kid and like I was a freestyler and, you know, would you try the same trick 500 times, you know, between 8 PM and 2 AM and you finally hit it at 2 AM and you're sweating and bleeding. And it's like, you it's, learned the, something. it's the best feeling in the world. But yeah. those 500 tries, like there's no better analog for what you go through as an entrepreneur of just fail, 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 fail. So if you were some kind of like goosebumps talking about that, but if you're a, if you're like a free skier, that's, that's the DNA, I think. That's the DNA. Yeah. Yeah. We just filmed the video and I used ski clips and said this exact thing. Alex, my business partner is just as talented as me, if not more talented. But when push comes to shove, Alex, I've sent 60 foot double backflips off cliffs and I know what it's like to be scared and take a risk. Yeah. And I will throw all 15 grand at something. I have no idea where it's going to work. Whereas Alex was launching his companies and if he spent 200 bucks on Facebook ads and it's not profitable, he's like, I just can't keep pushing money into it. And it's that risk tolerance and that seeing things through to the end, um, that, is what separated my ability to make really hard decisions and risky decisions from the person who had all the information, had all the ideas, but wasn't, you know, tolerated in risk enough to take a life changing risk and still be present throughout it and still do their best work and not panic. Um, yeah. It's really cool that you asked that question because I take so many lessons from skiing. 
so, I mean, and it's funny too, when I started riding again a few years ago, I was reminded, I'm like, oh, this is what it was. This is, this is the thing that it was the intangible throughout my whole career that, that sort of was that drive and that motivation to finish something. But in terms of the risk tolerance, do you know who uh, Tavarish is? He's a YouTuber, a car guy, by any chance? I don't, sadly. <clears throat> so he, um, he just recently, he's got a pretty big channel. It's like almost 3 million subs, I think. And he recently bought a uh, McLaren P1 that had been in a hurricane in Florida, like literally completely submerged, completely like banged up. And it's just, it's just a wreck. And he bought it on Copart, which is like an auction, like a car auction website. I want to say, I think he paid $575,000 for it. It's a $3 million car when it's new or when it's for sale. So it's like a crazy, but it's, a paperweight right now. Like it's a bonkers thing. And he was just interviewed on my buddy, Mike Brewer, who does a show called Wheeler Dealers. He, they just interviewed him this week. And he was talking about that, that process of seeing this thing as a buy it now. And Mike was just like, I can't believe you did this. And Tavarish and, and Mike's wife was, she was like, he, he's, he'll take risks. He, he knows what he's doing. Like, and I, and I was thinking like, if this were me, and I had to like scrape together almost $600,000 to buy this car, I wouldn't hesitate. Like I would absolutely do what he did because I know that I'll get it done. Like I know that one way or another, I will do it. So I, mm. I don't have that same risk of, you know, I'm not as risk averse as like, obviously my other buddy Mike is. I'm, I'm very similar to you where I, I just kind of send it and go, all right, let's, let's see what goes in the, I, like it's only money, you know, that's right. kind of how I think about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And seeing things through to the end is also a huge, a huge skill, you know, and you learn that through, through every, I've learned that through every part of my life, whether it's, cause I'm only 22. School was a huge thing for me. Yeah. And I was not a good student. I had my brother and sister who both never got an A minus mm. in their life. And then I came in getting like straight B's because I just couldn't focus. I was so all over the place. I thought I was dumb. I was always told I was dumb. I was disrespected by like my extended family. But two years later, by the end of high school, I have like straight A's, all APs. That was all work. You know, it was all just working my ass off. Yeah. And then to go out and make a movie working the ass off and just seeing things that were broken and didn't work. And then they do work and you did solve it even being cool in school. Like I was really weird in middle school and I always really wanted to be, I wanted to be cool in high school. I was just in a classic childish urge, but to go from that and learn how to talk to people I'm scared of and learn how to be funny and learn how to do all these things. They're all life lessons that taught me just like falling on a skateboard or a BMX bike. Like you were saying to go from not having something to having it you do that enough times in a hundred different things. And I can see the hundred and first, the first area and be like, yeah, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how this is going to work, but I know that I can make it work. I know that if I really want to try this thing in particular, could go out and learn it, could go out and sell it. If you want to go get that car, you know that you can figure it out. Um, it might sound like a broken record here. No, man, it's, it's exactly, it's a, it's a perfect close is what it is, is as, somebody listening to this going, man, 
this is exactly what I needed to hear today. So I think it's uh, I think it's amazing, dude. And thank you for sharing. Uh, at Charlay C, uh, at C-H-A-R-L-A-Y dot C on Instagram. Uh, you can check out Vibride, V-I-B-E-R-I-D-E dot com uh, for the the new longboard break. They've got a, a sign up if you are a longboarder or a shortboarder that wants to be a longboarder or a no-boarder that wants hmm. to be a boarder. Uh, check out vibride.com, uh, throw your email address in there as they are, um, obviously in production and you will get amazing stuff. You've done such a great job with the brand of all this stuff, Charlie. So, um, you've, I mean, really you're, you've, uh, you're, you're awesome. And I, I'm looking forward to hopefully, uh, getting to high five you someday if you come to LA. Oh, I hope so. Hey, it's, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate talking to you and and you asking amazing questions and i know that uh i think if we were born in the same generation we'd be pretty good friends so. probably I, th- I think we still can yeah. you know they let people yeah. be friends that aren't uh the same age it's crazy um right yeah no we can totally <laughs> be friends um I, I probably have a couple questions for alibaba uh from you so so that's you know stay tuned for that folks uh, you've now just listened to another episode of the Solopreneur Hour. As always, solohour.com, everything we talked about in the show notes and blah, blah, blah. You know you've done this a few times. You guys uh, go out there and have yourselves a wonderful day, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Solopreneur Hour podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash solohour on Twitter at Solo Hour and of course at solohour.com. Michael, you're so naughty. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.